0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Hey, what's hey, up? So how you? are you? I'm good, man. Right. Thanks. Good. That's good. My name's Cito. Hi, Sido, I'm Chad. Nice right. to meet you. you I, I, know, I know you, though. That doesn't. I, I know. But okay, cool. but I love your haircut. <laughs> <laughs> God only made so many perfect heads. The rest have hair. So um, anyways, that's totally side note. I was thinking about this um, a couple weeks ago. I was talking with a friend. Rick and I actually talked about this too, Pastor Rick and I, about uh, I heard on the radio, there'll be no sickness. I mean, we know this stuff. There'll be no sickness in heaven and death and all that, sorrows. And someone said, there'll, there'll be no baldness in heaven. I was like, well, time out. <laughs> we process that theologically. And so Pastor Rick and I talked, and I think all my brothers of the bald hood in here will agree, every man in heaven will be bald because perfection is in heaven. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amen, brother. What's that got to do with the sermon today? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Don't get me distracted. You just don't know what's going to happen, man. It's craziness. Uh, let's pray. Just joking. Uh, settle you down. Uh, hey, I got, I got some good news and some bad news. Uh, yeah, you like that? That's a good intro. The bad news is this. You're all going to be in a battle. We all fight a battle. We're always battling. That's the bad news. The good news is you're not in it alone. <laughs> you're not in it alone. Uh, life's just a battle. And, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but but we're not in it alone. And, and we could probably spend some time here talking about some of the battles we've been through. Battles from, you know, when we were kids or adolescents or in our young adult life or our adult life. as Battles we've had as a child, battles we've had as a, a parent, all these kinds of things. Um, I want to just share one of the biggest battles I've had in my life with you guys this morning. So just a little bit of vulnerability here uh, the, one of the biggest battles I've had to fight through in my life is in the area of academics. I, just, I wasn't a, a stellar student growing up. I, I was kind of like the Labrador puppy, man. I just went to school for the people, you know what I'm saying? I was a social guy. Just, just let me hang out with my friends. Oh, yeah, I've got to do homework. Okay, so um, I love the social component of school. Struggle through the academic component. And, and I, I didn't flunk out, none of that stuff, but I wasn't pulling 4.0s either. It was just one of the uh, difficulties of my life growing up was in academics. And so uh, the other thing that was taking place for me growing up, and I've shared this before, so some of you may remember this, is when I was a young boy, right out of the gate, from the moment I could hold a crayon and a piece of paper, it was all about airplanes. Love airplanes, man. And so uh, I started drawing airplanes. And I was pretty convinced at a young age that uh, my life's destination was to be in a cockpit. You know, that's what I wanted to do, is be in the Air Force. And so uh, early on in elementary and beyond, I, I, I pointed myself toward the Air Force. I wanted to be in the Air Force. I read the books. I studied aircraft. I went to every air show I could get, my, you know, could get to, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd be hanging out with my friends. But oh, dude, look at that girl. She's hot. I'd be like, hey, I think that's an F-16 up there. Uh, <laughs> You're right. That girl is hot. <laughs> but, um, but just, just you know, just stuff like that. I, just I was, my mind was on planes at an early age, and and, and and I and I loved them. So fast forward, just a just a couple months before high school graduation, I started accelerating my uh, positioning to enter into the armed forces. And so I was meeting with my Air Force recruiter. This was my second appointment. Uh, we were looking at my ASVAB. We were going to go through the ASVAB and all this different kind of stuff. And then um, she started asking about my glasses. Now by high school, I figured out. I wasn't going to be in the cockpit. They're just not going to put guys with bad vision inside the cockpit of a multi-million-dollar aircraft, you know. Um, but I had set my heart on ordnance or something along the lines. Like, let's, 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 let's make the things that go boom go onto the airplanes, you know, that kind of stuff. And so um, as we were meeting in that session, she started digging into my prescription of my lens. And they had a measurement. It's a diopter. It's a measurement of prism in your lens. And they would allow anyone with a diopter of six and below into the Air Force. I had an eight-and-a-half. So literally, on the eve of high school graduation, my life's dream was snatched. It was gone. And I'm like, I can't even get in? She's like, you can't even get in. And so as you can imagine, as an unmotivated person, I started going to my local junior college just trying to shop for a career. All right, what's next? You know? And so I started looking at the different options. And I settled on one. I thought, OK, I can do this. You know? But I was absolutely unmotivated as a student. And so it wasn't before long that at my local junior college, I got put on academic probation for my GPA. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't feel so good, (laughs) you know? It got worse. I got academically dismissed. I couldn't pull out of the nosedive. I got academically dismissed from my local junior college. If you want to walk around feeling like you have a big L on your forehead, it's when you get academically dismissed from a local junior college. It's like, you just got to show up to pass, you know? And so, um, man, that that was wreaking havoc with my self-esteem and my self-worth and all that kind of stuff. It really messed with me. Now, just rewind a little bit. At the same time that I graduated high school, uh, a pastor at my church said, hey, I see some leadership in you, and I'd like you to just volunteer with the junior hires if you could. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll work, I'll work with the junior high kids, no big deal. Well, that ignited a passion for ministry. You know, God revealed the desire and the design in my life to do ministry. And so I knew that as I started falling in love with ministry and less in love with this other career path I picked, that at some point in time there was going to be a convergence of my academic life and my ministry life at some point. I was terrified at that moment because I had developed poor study habits. I was in a rut that I couldn't seem to get out of. And so, um, thankfully, the Lord had a very supportive and very loving church community that I was in. And some spiritual leaders came around me and they said, we see leadership in you. We want to invest in you. So how about you start distance learning through Liberty University? We'll let you continue to do ministry here as an intern. And uh, we'd like to invest in you. And I said, that sounds great. And so uh, I ordered up my first Liberty University class. And I flunked it. <laughs> Big fat one-legged A, big fat F, you know, and, and that just messed with me. And then I took it again and aced it. I was like, yes, you know. I ordered up my second universe, you know, second class the next year. I flunked it. It's like, man, and you know, it was just messing with me, you know. Took it again and aced it, and then I never saw an F again. But but what happened was, it just started a process in my life that I started trying to shed, you know, all the academic baggage that I had developed for a couple of years, and it was a battle. It was a battle for me. And so as I started investing myself in, you know, uh, early mornings and late nights and trying to, you know, use friend time and family time to accomplish things, you know, full-time ministry, it was, just, it was hard. But I just kept looking to the Lord. And as I kept looking to the Lord, I kept getting the endurance and the strength that I needed to. And so it took forever. But um, in 2007, Rika and I boarded a plane with two kids that we had. And um, we flew to Lynchburg, Virginia, and I walked across. And got my bachelor's degree. And I was like, this, this, that was a huge victory for me. It was like, yes, that was awesome. It felt so good. And I said, Phew, that is done, man. I am done with school. I'm not going to go through that torment again. You know, I'm definitely not going back. Well, six months later, um, <laughs> I ordered my first class toward my master's. And so for the last years, I've been pursuing my master's at a snail's pace, but just pursuing the education. And so I'm really excited because uh, what's about to happen in the next few months is I'm about to take my last class for my master's, and I get to do it on-site in Israel, which is like, yes, I'm excited about that. And then I get to graduate uh, this May. And so, again, I would have never seen that coming years ago, I would have never seen that coming, because it's been such a battle for me. And yet the Lord has been so good. And every time I kept my eyes on him and he surrounded me with my support, you know, my wife and my family, and my friends and mentors in my life and the church leaderships I've been involved of, CBC, Baroque, all that stuff, everyone's invested in me greatly. And, and the battle was won, it's been victory. What battles have you gone through? That you look back and you see how the Lord did the same thing for you. He's given you victory as you've looked to him. What battles have you walked in here with today? Because every day we battle. And the odds are that every single one of us today are coming in with some sort of battle going on. It's something in your relationships, perhaps. You know, maybe it's, it's a job loss. Maybe it's addiction or depression or discouragement or lust or whatever it is. There's, there's a battle that you're fighting and the reason God has you here today is not to sit in a cushy little chair, you know, knock out 60 minutes of church time to go do whatever you want to do. It's because he's here to remind you that he loves you and he wants you to look to him if you want to have victory in your battle. But you've got to keep your eyes on him to have victory in the battle. And so what battles have you come fighting today that you need the Lord to help you have victory? Well, what does that have to do with the name of God? <laughs> well, I want to take us to a name of God today that will find that's related to a battle. It was found in a battle. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, and go to verse 8, Exodus 17, 8. And we're going to find this name of God that we're going to look at today, and it's all centered around a situation of a fight. And uh, just so you know, um, we, we put these verses up on the screen, but my desire is continuing to grow that it's so important for you guys to be self-feeders. It's so important that when we say open your Bibles, you're opening a book or you're firing up a Bible application, that some of these verses are going to start to disappear from the screen because I'm going to rely on you guys opening up your Bibles or opening up a Bible application and looking at them. But they'll be there for a little bit more. (laughs) But Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, that's where we find ourselves today. We're going to look for a name of God in the midst of the battle. Here we go. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Everybody say, Jehovah Nisi. That means, the Lord is my banner. Verse 16. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This whole account starts with the battle. And every time you have a battle, you're going to find an enemy. And so what we see here is we see this people group. The nation of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. They've been rescued from slavery. They've now crossed the Red Sea miraculously by the hand of God. They're now entering into the wilderness, um, being uh, provided for miraculously by God. They've, they've endured a slavery. They've endured a lack of food. They've endured a lack of water. And now an unprovoked enemy is attacking them. How many of the battles have you fought that have just been unprovoked? You didn't pick the fight. They came to you. You know, a situation, a season in your life, you didn't calendar that, but all of a sudden it's on your calendar. Here's a battle, I've got to fight. Here's a health issue, I've got to fight. Here's a relational issue, I've got to fight. Here's a work issue, I've got to fight. Here's a job loss or underemployment issue, I've got to fight. It's unprovoked, it just comes to us. Now, the, the, in, the enemy here that approaches the people of Israel is this guy, Amalek. Now, I don't have time to get into this. For those of you who are Bible students, you'll know this. For those of you who aren't, I'll throw out a couple names, look them up. But Amalek is the grandson of a guy named Esau. So if you know your history, Esau and Jacob, these two brothers, they've got a little feud going on. There's a lot of baggage back there. You can read about that in, in, in Genesis. But um, now you've got the grandson of Esau attacking the heritage of Jacob. And that battle's still going on even to this day. And so these guys attacked. That's the enemy. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it kind of gives a little more insight about what Amalek did. It says in Deuteronomy 25, 17, 18, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and you did not fear God. You've got a, a people group, the Amalekites, that had no fear of God. They attacked a vulnerable, weary, mass mob of former slaves and they're picking them off at the end. And this is, this is the battle that's occurring right now. This is what's taking place in this moment as we read, an unprovoked battle. And so what's happening is these former slaves now have to be transferred, they have to transform into a soldier. How do you go from a slave to a soldier? One minute you're making bricks, next minute you're defending the life of yourself and your family. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when we come to Christ, when we come into a relationship with the living God, we go from being a spiritual slave to a spiritual soldier. We're, 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 we're slaves to our sin until we let the forgiveness that comes through Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we're slaves to sin. But once we're in Christ, we've been transformed into spiritual soldiers. We're intercessory soldiers at that point. But these guys are trying to figure this out because now there's a battle. And as we've been thinking about the names of God, this is what we're going to learn. You know, When, when there's a hurt, we need a healer. We need a Jehovah Rapha. When there's needs in our life, we need a provider, a Jehovah Jireh. When there's unrest and injustice, like Pastor Rick talked about last week, we're going to need someone who can bring peace to that and bring purpose and mission to that. We need a Jehovah Shalom. And when there's a battle, which we all have, we all need a Jehovah Nisi. We all need a Lord to be a banner to fly under, and that's what we're looking at today. Now, what does this mean by banner? I need to talk about this for a minute. Um, some of you are thinking about, like, you know, Cleveland Browns banner, Woo-hoo, you know, or something like that. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking like that. There's a concept that's related. The whole concept of banner here is definitely something that you fly that represents uh, and, and has great significance. So, like, for example, we do have these banners up. These are, these are banners that have the names of God. But when you study uh, ancient war, because this is war language, you, you look at the banner, you start to think about those who carried the coat of arms, those who carried the flags of their nations. In, in a less uh, hostile environment, think about the Olympics and the nations that come out holding their flags. Isn't it cool when you see like one, you know, one Olympian representing the country waving that flag? You know, it's cool. Sometimes you see a mob, but they're always focused on that flag, that banner. One of the most iconic images for us when we think about like, the flag is the Iwo Jima Memorial. And, and, and the, those American soldiers raising the banner, raising the flag. But but realistically, in ancient culture, when we start talking about a banner, it looks different. Now, uh, I'm going to raise this pole up here because this is really what we're talking about. We're talking about a pole. Now, this is a halberd. It's a weapon. So it's the closest thing I have. So just work with me. All right. Um, so, so what would happen is is a banner, or sometimes the word standard is the translation of it, A standard or a banner was a long pole. And at the end of that pole, you would see some sort of an icon, an insignia. Typically, it was an animal. Here's an example of one Rome. Rome uh, typically had the golden eagle in it. And so that insignia, that emblem, that animal was a representation of who this army came from. It it was highly symbolic. It was a symbol of your sovereign. Whose name are you coming in? Who who are you fighting for? Who's resourcing you? What's your identity? Who do you represent? Who's going to bring you hope and courage? Who are you going to claim this victory in? And so you would see when they would march, they would always have those guys in the front with the banners, with the standards. They'd be raised high and they would have the, the, the insignias or the logos that belong to to the to the, 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 the country or the group that they came from. And so what, what, what Moses is saying you're saying the Lord is our banner. He's our sovereign. He's our trust. Because what they would do is whenever they would march to the battlefield, eventually whoever would have that standard, whoever would have that banner, would find a high place, a tower, a hill, or something, and they would set that up there. And it was really for two reasons. Because, because a banner is to be looked at. It's something visual. And so it was one, one reason was so that the opposing enemy would see who you are and whose name you come in. The second reason is that the fighting soldiers could look back and see their banner and know who they're fighting for. And then they would get their courage, and they would get their hope, and they would get their identity. You know, if you saw the movie Patriot, it was kind of like one of those scenes that, 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 that captured that. It was a scene near the end where Mel Gibson has the big flag. You know, And he picks it up and starts waving it as they're on the hill. And all of a sudden, all the, all the soldiers that were retreating saw the big waving you know, flag, and they turned around and went over the hill. That's the kind of spirit that is captured by someone holding the banner, by holding the standard. And so when Moses said, the Lord is our banner, the Lord is our standard, he's saying, we've come in the name of the Lord. It's, we trust in the Lord. This is who uh, is our resource. The thing is, is all of us here today come flying in an invisible banner. Every single one of you is holding a banner right now. You don't even know it. The question is, what's at the top? What insignia? What logo? What icon do you have on your banner? For some, it's a big dollar sign, you know? I trust in money. I, I, I live life for money. For some, it's like a Big Mac, you know? It's like, hey, it's all about food, you know? Um, maybe, maybe that's what it is for you. For some, it's, maybe it's a silhouette of a person because you trust in people. It's all about people. For some, maybe it's just a big arrow pointing down because you trust in yourself. And you know, everything you do is all for yourself. Whatever it is, there's something on the end of your banner. And what Moses is saying, is saying the Lord is our banner. We come from the Lord. We come to the Lord. We're going to trust in the Lord. That's what Moses is saying here. And so what we're really ultimately seeing here is that this language that Moses is talking about as he's getting ready to go into the battle is that we rely on God. We have to look to God. We have to be God-dependent people. And so that's what Moses is communicating here. And it's so clear because instantly when the battle starts, he comes up with a God-dependent plan showing that they're going to trust in the Lord. They're not going to trust in their own strength. Right? When you look again at verse 9 and 10, it says, Moses told Joshua, which by the way, this is the very first time Joshua is ever mentioned in Scripture. So Moses told Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up the top of the hill. Moses was looking for high ground. He wanted to take the standard, the banner, if you will, which for them was the staff of God, the rod of God, the same stick that Moses was holding when he did miracles in Egypt, the same stick that Moses held when they split the Red Sea, the same stick that hit the rock, that had water gushing out. There's nothing magical or supernatural about the stick. It's just a symbol of God's presence and power. But Moses wanted all these men that were about to fight, for the lives of Israel to know they're not going to fight their own strength. They come through the presence and the power of God. And so he's looking for high ground to raise the banner, to raise the standard so that they could look back and see who they hoped in and the opposing army would see who they're coming against. And so this is the language that we're seeing here. This is the, the, the uh, thoughts that are being communicated. You know, Psalm 60 verses 4 through 5 talks like this. It says, you have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. And so Moses was setting the, 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 the tone right there. This, is, this battle has to be something that we have to do in the Lord. We have to look to the Lord. So I'm going to high ground to go to the Lord. And so what we see next is we see as Moses is on that hill, he's raising his hands. Maybe he has the staff at times, maybe not, but he's got his hands up. And basically what we understand that to be is that Moses is holding up the banner, if you will, of the Lord, but this is also an act of, of intercession for all of the people. He's coming to the Lord. He's looking to the Lord to redeem and to deliver the people. He's interceding. He's praying for the people to be victorious and to be, and, and to be rescued from the, the attack of the enemy. And as we see his hands being raised, we look at verse, 10 and says, uh, or verse 11. It says that when his hands were raised, Israel prevailed. But when he lowered his hands amalek started to win and so really what we're seeing is that as his hands got lowered as he fatigued it was like losing eye contact and the enemy started to win let's just pause it for a second translate that in your own life we know this this is almost one of those twisted realities that we live in when the heat gets turned up in our life when the unprovoked enemy comes when our enemies come to us and by the way i just need to clarify who our enemies are because right now some of you are putting names to that word enemy and you're thinking about that person in your family, that person at the workplace, your neighbor. Those are not our enemies. The Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our enemies are very clear. We, we, we joke around and call them the evil trinity. It's the devil, the world, the flesh. We have two external enemies, a very real devil who tries to take us out. He can't hurt God, so he's going to hurt what's precious to God. And you know what? You are precious to God. You're his child. And so if he can hurt you, It's his best attempt at trying to hurt the father. And so we're a target in the eyes of the devil. The world, this culture that we live in, that tries to make rebellion against God look attractive, to make disobedience to God fun. Well, it's fun for a moment, but what the world does is it hides the bill from you. And then later it brings out the bill and you have a little sticker shock when you see what rebellion against God is going to cost you. And so we have the enemies of the devil in the world. And then if that wasn't bad enough, we've got an internal enemy, one that mutinies against ourself that this sabotages our own desire to be obedient to God is the flesh, always wanting to do the wrong thing, you know. And so, so th- those are our enemies. And when those enemies start to kick up in our life, the most important tactic that we can engage in is prayer. It's prayer. You look to the Lord. You look to the Lord. But don't you find this? I find this. Maybe I'm alone in the room, but I don't think I am. Whenever this he gets turned up, you know you should pray. You know that you need to look to the Lord, but what's the hardest thing to do? Pray. It's like one of those dreams where, like, you know, you're trying to run from a bad guy, but you can't run. You're like, you know, you can't move. You're like in slow motion. It's like in the moment when you're being spiritually attacked and and your emotions and your heart and your mind and your your soul, everything's being attacked, you know you should pray to God, but it's one of the hardest things to do. Why? Because it's spiritual warfare. And so the, the, the same thing that happens with Moses. When he would go to the Lord, look to the Lord, there was victory. But when he started backing off, you started losing ground. When you and I stop praying, what happens? We lose ground. Some of you are in a mess right now. This battle that you're fighting, you're in a complete mess. You can't remember the last time you really, truly prayed about it. To truly looked to the Lord, not a, not a quick little God help me thing, but like really came to the Lord and just wrestled and trusted in what God was going to do. Moses had his hands up all day, all day, for hours and hours and hours and hours before there was victory. Don't forget, we live in a world that this instant gratification is king, right? Lord, I'm going to give you a five-word prayer. Where's my answer? And the Lord's like, you know, you have to work a little harder than that. You need to work a little harder than that, my child. And so, in the same way that Moses would go and he would see victory and he let up, he'd start to see loss. When we look to the Lord, the more we look to the Lord, the more we'll see victory. The less we look to the Lord, we'll start to lose. But here's the thing. There are definitely moments when some of the battles that we fight, it's just you and Jesus. A lot of these battles, it's just you and Jesus, and, 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 and he's present with you. You're not alone. But some battles go on long Some battles go on really intense. At some point, you're going to need some backup. You're going to need some backup. And that's exactly what God did. as, As Moses was looking to the Lord, as he started to fatigue in his intercession, God brought reinforcements in, right? You've got Aaron and Hur. Look at verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they, talking about Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This is when you start to ask those questions that you may never get the answer to. So what if Aaron and Hur weren't there? What would have happened? Would they have lost? Would they have lost that battle? I don't know. But God in his wisdom knew that Moses needed to have men come with him. There's community written all over this. Because Joshua had the soldiers with him. And all the other men who couldn't fight and women and the children, they had each other. And Moses, he had Aaron and her. You had soldiers in the trenches. You had intercessors on the mountain. And you've got a God in the heavens who's your Jehovah Nissi. How are you going to lose? How are you going to lose with that scenario? And so what happened, though, is Moses started to fatigue. And Aaron and her were there to come around and bring support and encouragement and help hold up his arms. When you and I are going through our battles, there are certain thresholds that we cross. or certain times where all of a sudden we can't do it alone anymore. You need backup. You need a caring community around you. That's why we're so big on life groups here. Like All of you should be in a life group because we can't just do life alone. See, see some of you are sitting here going, okay, the battle I'm going through, I actually need some backup. It's really, I'm, I'm, I'm taking hits. I'm kind of losing ground. But I don't dare let anyone know what I'm struggling with because it's shameful, it's embarrassing, or they're going to think different of me. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not God's voice in your head. God's not telling you that. That's the flesh, that's the world, that's the devil. They don't want you to get back up, keep you quarantined, keep you isolated. Because if you're isolated, it brings weakness. But if you're, in commu- if you're in community, it brings strength. When you pray by yourself, it's strong. When you pray with others, it's stronger. And so some of you are here today, and you're faithful to the Lord, and you're fighting the battle, but maybe what God's trying to tell you specifically today is, but you're doing it alone. It makes a great movie to see one guy in the middle of a 1,000, like winning. It's terrible reality, you know? We, we need support. We need encouragement. Moses had Aaron and her. Who are your Aaron and hers in your life? Who are the people that come to your mind, like, when things get heavy, like, instantly think, I've got to call them. I've got to call so-and-so. I hope you all have a name or a couple names, that when things get really bad, you're like, I got to call those people. And hopefully those people will pray for you, because if all they can do is like, hey, I'll send good thoughts your way, I'm like, that's not good enough. I don't want your good thoughts, I need you to intercede, I need you to go to the face of God, I need you to go to Jehovah Nisi on my behalf. Because your good thoughts aren't going to do me anything. They're not going to do anything for me. Who's your Aaron, who's your hers? You know, sometimes you're the Aaron, sometimes you're the her, right? You get the call. Hey, I need some help. (laughs) I need prayer. I need encouragement. they are like, be right there, man. Come hold your hands up. Go sit on a rock. Be there in a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We need each other. Ladies and gentlemen, we need each other. You can't do it in isolation. Get in a life group. Get around some other believers that can support you and encourage you so you can hold them up and they can hold you up. Because when that happens, we see things like verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. They had victory. They had victory that day. Soldiers in the trenches, the intercessors on the hill, and they had victory. They won. Now, this is where we have to unpack this for a minute. We have to be careful how we define victory. Because ultimate victory is when the enemy is conquered and vanquished and done. You know what? There's certain enemies that we're not going to see conquered and vanquished until either you take your last breath and say hi to Jesus, or when Jesus splits the skies and interrupts man's plans in his second return. Some enemies are going to go the long haul, and you're going to be in the ring duking it out until eternity opens up for you. Others are going to be vanquished. Some of you are sitting here, you've been clean and sober for decades. You know why? Because God gave you the strength to do that. Some of you haven't clicked on a site that you shouldn't go to, for a year or more. Why? Because God's given you victory. There are definitely times when you vanquish the enemy. But there's other times when victory doesn't mean the enemy goes away. Victory means you keep fighting, that you're not quitting. Sometimes what victory means, victory looks like endurance. Victory means I got out of bed today. Victory means I put one foot in front of the other and got through my day, even though my heart wasn't fully in it and I felt very heavy. Sometimes victory is those of you praying for your prodigal sons and daughters who don't know the Lord. And you've been praying for them for years, and guess what? You're still praying for them because you still believe that God can do something. That's victory. Even though ultimate victory is that they come back to the Lord, that's ultimate victory. The fact that you're still praying and trusting the Lord for it is a victory. So as we're talking about victory, it's not always boom, knock out, punch, the enemy's dead. Sometimes victory is I'm still in it, I'm still fighting. And maybe that's why some of you are here because God's reminding you that even though you're still fighting a battle and you're like, God, when's it going to be in? He's like, but you're still fighting. But don't fight alone. And don't fight under your own banner. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Don't break eye contact with the Lord. Don't give up ground and keep it up. And because of all this victory, we see what happens, that kind of coalesces in verse 14 through 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Why would God want him to write it in a book? To capture it. A tangible capturing of the victory. Why? So people could see it and remember who God is and what he does. And then it says there from um, verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Why would Moses build an altar? It's a tangible symbol of the victory. Why? So when he saw it and others saw it, it would remind them that there is a God who gives victory for those who trust in him. Have you found a way to tangibly capture the victories God's given you? Maybe you have journals. There's page after page after page after page is the fight. You're praying about that situation. And then there's that one page where God gives you victory. I think my wife and I have a couple journals. Infertility, 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 infertility. Why can't we have kids? Why can they have kids and we can't have kids? Lord, it hurts. Why did we get the baby in Why does that shower hurt so much? God, infertility, infertility. Boom. Lord, today we went to the hospital and picked up our first adopted baby. We're so joyous. See, so victory might just look different than you think it's going to look. But if the Lord is your Jehovah Nissi, you'll have victory. you have a journal that you're capturing those things? Or maybe like, you know, some of you have these students, like I have rocks in my house I've written stuff on with Sharpie pens. Like God gave me victory over this, and God gave me victory over this, and there's like this tangible rock, and people are like, what's up with the rock, dude? It's like God did this cool stuff in my life. Look, if Moses is going to build an altar, you know, you can take a rock and a Sharpie pen and have fun with that, you know, or a piece of wood or something. What tangible way are you capturing the victories that God's given you? Interesting verse, verse 16. He said, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What that means is that Amalek had the audacity to put his hand on the throne of God. How did he do that? By attacking his children. All you parents in the room, you know what that means. Well, you mess with your kids, you mess with me. And Amalek came against the children of Israel. And he picked a fight not with the children of Israel. He picked the fight with the father of the children of Israel. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, when the world, when the flesh and the devil come trying to pick a fight with you, they're picking a fight with your father. But you've got to look to your father and you've got to run to your father. You've got to trust your father to be your Jehovah Nissi and let him have the victory because you don't have it in yourself. I do not have the ability to have victory in my own power. It's from the Lord. You don't have the ability to have victory in your own power. Maybe a little bit, not much, but that's all. You want ultimate victory, you've got to tap into the Father. And it's interesting here, it says, generation after generation, this enemy, Amalek, the Amalekites, they're going to be a bit of a thorn for a while. He's going to wipe out the memory at some point, but for now, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be relentless, like an Ohio winter. (laughs) Relentless repetitive oh we're done with snow oh look what's that white stuff oh we're done with snow oh what's that white stuff (laughs) the Amalekites are going to keep coming and keep coming but that's okay because the father was going to keep battling and keep battling for his children I don't know what your battles look like I don't know what God's trying to tell you this morning I hope you're hearing loud and clear that no matter what you're going through if you look to the Lord to bring victory. There's a couple that I asked a while back, said well, could we could we just share a little bit of your story? And they said, Uh, okay. <laughs> and this is just a drop in the bucket of the story, but I think you'll get you'll feel the content that they were having a battle and they were fighting against God, and they were fighting against each other. It was going to cost them their marriage. I'll let you tell a little bit of the rest from here. So let's just listen to Lisa and Andrew talk a little bit about how they experienced Jehovah Nisi.
1: We have been together for
0: 16 years, over 16
1: years.
2: Having been saved for a while, having both known the Lord for a while, we we kind of realized what we what we should do, but we feel like this is like uncharted territory for the both of us, both of us, because of um, <clears throat> the limited modeling that we had seen.
1: We've had just about everything you can think of happen. Um, moved into a crazy old hundred fifty-year-old house my mother lived with us until she passed away seven years ago Um, we've had um, different illness and health issues with our children Mm -hmm. we have had job loss we started and ran a construction business together for 10 years
2: it's always been my prayer no matter what it takes I don't care if I don't gain wealth I don't care if I don't gain fame Prosperity, Let holiness begin right here with me and her. This has been a prayer of mine since I was a young. got first got saved, but let holiness begin. And I don't care if it devastates me. I do not care because I want, from this point on, I don't want that discontinuity.
1: He went on the road with the business. Um, he would... On for about three weeks of every month. And we lived like that for about three years. In the midst of all that, somehow we ended up fighting God and each other. We actually came to a point on, on one specific day in our marriage where it just seemed like everything just crumbled and like a house of cards and someone just pulled out the right card and everything just seemed to go I mean this is war this is spiritual mm. warfare and there are battles being fought in the homes in the lives of the people at this church and beyond and and we were struggling i mean there were days when we we couldn't even go to service we could i I thought yeah. if i see one person Face yeah. to face,
2: like I will months. just sob. You know, scripture talks about, you know, us coming alongside and bearing one another's burden. To me, that was that was the the mechanism that was employed. Somebody bearing, helping to bear my burdens, just like Ben, you know, her and Joshua mm-hmm. bore um, Moses' burden.
1: You know, there was support from all over. And it would come from this person for a while and that person for a while. And him, Jehovah Nisi, as our banner, as this family launches out and and generations come.
0: So just a little little snapshot of a story of two people sitting in here like you guys that had battle going on and that battle led them to a nosedive in their marriage. Instead of looking to themselves, they looked to the Lord. They looked to Jehovah Nisi. And there was much prayer, and there was support that came in, and uh, their marriage has been restored. And they're not perfect. They don't share that because out of perfection, they shared that out of dependence in God for the rest of the days of their marriage. But now they just, they just started helping uh, lead life groups, helping encourage, encourage marriages. That's victory. You know, that, that just makes the devil mad. He wanted that marriage to get broken up, and now they're helping other marriages. It's like, come on now. I don't know about you, but it's like, those are the kind of things, like, I want to kick the devil in the teeth. I want the world to know that it can't drag me into its enticing net. I want the flesh to know that, yeah, I'll fight you, but you don't own me. Christ owns me. And so... Whatever battles you've fought, whatever battles you're fighting, whatever battles you're going to fight, are you going to look to the Lord? you Are going to look to the banner? Are you going to let Christ fly overhead as your identity, who you represent, who you're trusting in, as you fight until the day that we spend eternity in the midst of God's glory and majesty? I hope that's your heart. No, some of you have come here today and and God just has affirmed you. You've been looking at me. Keep looking. Don't break eye contact. Some of you, God said, you've broken eye contact. You're not praying. Just re-engage in prayer. Some of you, God's saying, you've been praying. You're keeping eye contact, but you're getting tired. You need some backup. You need to let some other people in. Find ways to do that. You've got a response card. You can talk to us. Um... There's a prayer cove back there that when we're done here, there's people back there that will be an errant or a her in this moment to just say, how can I pray for you? Some of you here, you're, you can't fight with the Lord because you're too busy fighting the Lord. And you don't even have a relationship with the Lord yet. We sent Jesus to die on the cross, that cross is a banner. It's a symbol of God's love for you and, and forgiveness available for you. You've got to take that first step of faith and trust in God by realizing that Jesus has provided forgiveness of sins for you so that you can have eternity with God. Take that first step. You can let us know. You can ask us about that. We'd love to tell you. But whatever God's brought you in here with, I I pray that you feel better armed and equipped with Jehovah as your banner, your Nisi as you leave here. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you have not abandoned us. You've not let us alone to fight on our own. (laughs) God, thank you that we can look to you. God, we know that this combination of there needs to be prayer on the hill, but there needs to be (laughs) soldiers in the field. Lord, God, help us to be both of those. Times as we're interceding and we're praying, times that we're, we're going after it, Lord, just trusting you to open doors and close doors and bring victory. I pray that you you, you just meet everybody right here where they have the greatest need, whether that's for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, whether that's the reminder that prayer is the powerful way to connect and to look to you, whether they're in isolation and it's time to get into community, Lord God, whatever it is, I pray that you just speak, and Lord, I pray that you find an obedient, willing child at the other end of your voice. God, help us to open our eyes to look to you. Is you're greater than we are. You're stronger than we are. God, you're willing to fight for us. Lord, you never fatigue. You never fail. You're mighty. God, when there's a whiteout for us and we can't see anything, Lord, you, you can make a way. So God, help us to look to you. That's what we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen.